For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello, welcome to the Borg Podcast. I'm Tim Miller. It's a happy Mardi Gras day here in New Orleans. We've got the appropriate guest for Mardi Gras, as you might imagine. But we have a little bit of news. So tonight, we have the New York 3 special election. It's the George Santos seat. A former Democratic congressman, Tom Swazi, is running against an unknown Republican, Mozzie Pillip, who uh, Joe Perticone wrote about in his Press Pass newsletter recently, which you should check out. She is Kind of MAGA, kind of a just blank slate has not been pinned down on a lot of issues. But Democrats have done really well in special elections. That's something that uh, we're going to talk to James Carville about. Other big news last night was the Ukraine-Israel-Taiwan National Security Bill passed 70 to 29 in the Senate, 48 Democratic votes, 22 Republican votes. And this is big news. We get to the House next where uh, Mike Johnson has said that he will not bring this up, but uh, his majority is so slim. There are some creative ways around this, and uh, that's something that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. And I guess I'm going to say, in the words of Dumb and Dumber, we're saying there's a chance. There's a chance for the Ukraine-Israel-Taiwan bill, which would be super important and buy a lot of time for our friends, particularly in Ukraine. All right. So we've got a good one ahead of you. Unfortunately, this is a podcast, so we do not have closed captioning. (laughs) So you might want to put it at 0.75 speed just to make sure you're keeping up with all of the gems that James Carville is dropping rapid fire. It is going to be fun. We will see you back here tomorrow for a more sober-minded podcast on Ash Wednesday. Up next, James Carville. But first, my buddies at Galactic with a little carnival music. Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. Those are my pals at Galactic. It's Mardi Gras Day, so obviously I got James Carville. Uh, James, thanks so much for doing it. You know, Tim, good uh, fellow New Orleanian and Tiger fan. <laughs> Can you say no? And, we got to do yeah, it. Why it follows my fashion trends, okay? I, I didn't know I was a trend. <laughs> you, you know uh, what everybody was sending me this week? I want to start with this. So I wore the, you know, I, I guess it's like the basic the basic Ken Mardi Gras shirt. You know, it's the rugby shirt with the Mardi Gras colors. I wore it on TV to be in spirit the other day. And right. everybody sends right. me this clip where you're wearing it from the war room. I just want to, let's just play it for them real quick. There's a simple doctrine outside of a, a person's love. The most sacred thing that they can give is their labor. And somehow or another along the way, we tend to forget that. And labor is a very precious thing that you have. And any time that you can combine labor with love, you've made a, a merger. James, 
you're talking about the love and the labor, and it seems like you're feeling that right now. You've got this YouTube page. You are out there. You are talking about young men's sexual frustration. You're talking about Donald Trump having syphilis. You're talking about how we need to talk about how he stinks. Talk to me about how you're uniting your labor and your love right now in this phase of your career. Well, for uh, 16 years, I taught once a week, and it did help focus me. So I don't teach anymore because it's just too much trouble and I'm on the road a lot. So I started doing these YouTube videos, and it's kind of therapeutic, and it gives you a, a, a little time to explain what you're trying to say. And I try to do it as much as I can. You know, with humor is a kind of backdrop if you will, but to try to explain to people just how screwed up things are in the country and just what a uniquely, I don't know what kind of character Donald Trump is, but I haven't gotten an adjective that can quite fit him yet. But I'm struggling, Tim. I'm struggling. <laughs> well, you're not struggling that much. I mean, I, I liked, I don't know if it was your latest, but one of your recent videos, you went on a rant I don't completely agree with that basically talked about what we've been doing in countering Trump is not really working. Right. I guess my, my counter to that is like, well, I mean, he hasn't won an election in eight years, but but he's still around. So it's not working as well as we'd hoped. I, right. I guess we could agree on that. And the case that you went forth is you were watching Animal House and you decided, you tell the people, what have you decided we need to start doing? So you're right. He stays at the kind of same level. Yeah. Or he actually went from 46 to 47 between 2016 and 2017, which is kind of the same thing. And we tried everything. You know, we tried his policy, his hypocrisy, his criminality, his predatory attitude toward women, his deadbeat didn't pay bills. So he's going to say if Russia can bomb somebody that doesn't pay their NATO bill, this guy can't pay cash with a cosigner. <laughs> Okay, he didn't pay anybody in his life. He doesn't pay his plumber. He doesn't pay anybody. He doesn't pay anybody. So my point is, he's at a level, but it doesn't get any worse. Actually, in the head-to-head, he's doing slightly better. And we've thrown everything at him. And so I was in an animal house. I was watching it. And they said, what's called for here is a really futile and stupid gesture. And the guy says, yeah, we just asked to do it. And I think that by mocking him and making fun of him over a period of time, that a lot of his supporters are vested in him as this sort of flawed, sent by God, King Cyrus, King David kind of figure. And my point is, is King Cyrus, King David, to our knowledge, didn't have syphilis, but didn't shit the diapers. I think that uh, so much of this is theological. I really do think so much of his supporters, he's viewed as, as a somewhat theological figure as much as a political figure. Yeah. I also liked your, your little bit about the multiple choice question about the last year Trump saw his dick. I appreciated <laughs> that. I do want to get back to the NATO part and the foreign policy and do a little serious talk. But just while we're talking strategy, Mike Johnson, this guy, and you've done a lot on him, Talk about theological Christian nationalism. I've been thinking about this. I, I know that this is counterintuitive in some ways, since like Trump is the bigger figure and Trump has all these flaws. Like, how could being tied to Mike Johnson hurt Trump? But I've started to develop a theory that I think that it could. Like, in the same way that back when I was a Republican, we used to tie everybody to all year people to Nancy Pelosi, San Francisco values, you know? Right, and right. like, Mike Johnson is a Christian nationalist weirdo. And you've like leaned into this well. He's fucking weird. Like nobody thinks Trump 
is that much of a zealot, right, on these issues. Right. And so, like, I think that a lot of these young men, you talk about young black men, young white men, listening to Joe Rogan and Theo Vaughn, that, like, you know, kind of think it's funny to be for Trump. Is there not a way that we could start a campaign advertising to those people about how Mike Johnson is going to be inside their bedroom monitoring their porn usage if the Republicans win everything next year? Might that not be more useful at this point than going after Trump? Well, you have to explain to people what Christian nationalists, and they say, well, James, you're Christian, okay? You know, you're, you're at a flag. You know, you're Christian nationalists. No, no, this is, and, and you got to explain who these people are. And they, they're everywhere, right? And it's a weird, I mean, like Jesus gave the Constitution to James Madison, and the First Amendment is only there to protect Christians. I mean, it's, but they have money, and Trump gets elected, he's going to turn the government over to him. They're going to sit down and make a deal. You steal whatever you want, okay? You amass all the power you want, right? and we're going to fill the government up. And the answer is, well, that's never going to get a majority of the votes. What we know is you don't even need a majority. You really don't need with all these multiple candidates. You know, remember, I said Hitler got 33%. They said, well, James, you can't compare anything to Hitler. Was some supposed to forget that 1933 to 1945 ever existed? There's no <laughs> lessons to learn there. There's nothing to remember. We just ought to eradicate that, erase that, white it out from history. And I don't think you can do that. And the lesson is you don't need close to a majority. Look at the Supreme Court. For sure, Clarence Thomas is, I don't know, Leto, Barrett, maybe, you know. But it's just so crazy, and so few people understand it. And Johnson is, he's all embedded in that crazy crap. And it came through Woody Jenkins, it came through Tony Perkins, it came through Paul Pressler, a great criminal. And the more that you study it and look at it, the more you think, this sounds weird. People are going to think I'm goddamn crazy, but it's a real threat. It's a real, real ass threat. It is a real threat. We've done well. There's not a whole lot of juice left in the orange in the college-educated suburban crowd, right? There's a few more people that we can win over that were freaked out by January 6th, and we got to still continue to push. I always talk about the husbands of the wives that have been wagging their finger at them for eight years. Like, we can pull a couple more of those college-educated white guys reading the Wall Street Journal over. But getting into the non-college number, either working-class whites or working-class voters of color, like, the Trump is going to be a dictator thing. For whatever reason, it's not scaring them. And that's why I was interested in your strategy about mocking him. I, I think that could work. And I also think that in some ways, Mike Johnson scares them more, right? Like this Christian nationalist stuff, right? Like, and that's why Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, right. you know, ran way below the Trump number in Pennsylvania. Because it's like that weirdo Christian nationalist stuff is way scarier to these working class voters than kind of our high-minded talk about liberal democracy, which I care about. And I think that's the play with regards to Johnson. So during our time on opposing parties, there was a kind of unwritten rule. Children are not combatants right. in any kind of way. Yeah, you can put it in an ad and you're walking through the fall leaves with King yeah. Timoho and, you know, you throw a stick and that that's fine. And you can have, you know, little Ashley and Jason, whatever you got. <laughs> then, you know, your daughter, no one would like talk about your daughter like publicly or say anything. It's just different business right. and who cares and my children the same way. He puts his children front and center. He takes a 13-year-old girl and publicly puts her signing a purity pledge with him standing next to her. Yeah. 
in the research shows that these females that do this, it messes them up. Yeah. Then he and the son, who's 17, monitor each other's computers with something called covenant eyes to make sure that neither one is watching porn. And if he's trying to keep that kid from jacking off, I'm going to tell you, dude, it ain't going to work. You're fighting a losing battle. <laughs> the world is over six million trying to do that. I think more than six million, and, but yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> he is a weird, weird figure. He's been shaped by weird people. And that Bosch Parish fundamental Christianity, and he says he talks to God all the time. Well, that God don't know how to count. That God, the God of Bullshit Parish Fundamentalism can't count to 218. <laughs> now, the South Louisiana, all knowing the omnipotent God, could count to infinity. But God has a lot of different people to a lot of different things. But the guy literally yeah. says, everything I believe comes out the Bible. I talk to God. And I think I believe him. Yeah, right. I don't think this is some kind of show you know, Trump would be evangelical, which is almost hilarious. Right, yeah, yeah. I think this guy is fundamentally, deeply, and profoundly screwed up. I do. And I, and I think this weird brand of Christianity and Christian nationalism really informs who he is. We got to do a little news. It's the three-year anniversary of the vote to acquit Donald Trump. Uh-huh. And to me, this is the date, February 13th, 2021, that created all these fucking problems that we're in. Like, honestly, had 10 more Republicans had the balls to do what they wanted to do and convicted him, you know, we would have a relatively normal campaign right now between Ron DeSantis or someone like him who I don't like and, you know, between Kamala Harris or somebody like her because I don't know that Biden would have ran if he would have been convicted. Instead, we're what we are where we are. And so... Here we are last night in the Senate. I I feel like it's a nice bookend to that. We have this vote about the aid for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. The Senate passes it. 22 Republicans do the right thing, which is down from 39 the last time they voted on it. So it's moving the wrong direction. But is there a way to navigate this world where we just have to rely on the Democrats being the responsible ones every time? And, you know, how can you, you know, I know you're talking to a lot of these Senate candidates, like message in about how it's like it's these fucking guys fault that we're in this situation so the difference between the republicans and the democrats is this republican voters are driving republicans politicians behavior yeah. all right rubio was not like a clown or he wasn't anything like that as he came up through florida politics and he got the senate okay he was more conservative than i like now he's become a comical figure and people say, why doesn't Rubio like stand up? Because Rubio is doing democracy. He's doing exactly what the rank and file Republican want him to do. The rank and file Democrat does not really want Biden to run for re-election. They will vote for him, but he's not being pushed by public opinion. Rubio is being pushed by public opinion. And there are just so many more weird people in this world than we originally thought. It's really eye-opening. There's no path for a, a Jeb Bush kind of person. It's done. It's over. And the Democrats are a lot of things, but even like the ones that I don't really disagree with, like the squad. 
I think their views are kind of naive and silly, but they're not evil. I mean, they don't want to like bomb Denmark. <laughs> okay. Um, and most <laughs> of them are genuinely held. I and mean, this is the thing about why we rattle so much about Rubio, right? Right. It's like 39 Republicans voted for Ukraine aid two years ago. 22 did last night. 17 people didn't change their mind about the threat of Putin, right? 17 people just, well, 16, a couple of them lost, but umpteen people just folded to the demands of these voters who have been pushed off the deep end by, you know, being inside Tucker Carlson media world 100% of the time. I'm sure what they would tell you if you sit down and talk to them, look, if I was the last vote, I would have voted for the eight. But man, I go to the villages and they like club at me. Yeah. Man, I don't want to listen to that shit anymore. But Tim, you know, and, and I knew we had a cushion. It was just a free vote. I, it, there's a difference between the 38th vote and the 51st vote. That's a million miles in politics. Yeah. And I suspect that's what he'd say, but I've watched him when he looked at him a little bit when he first ran for the Senate. And man, he was an impressive speaker. And he had a real way that he weaved his life's narrative into what he believed. Yeah. I mean, he was a real star at one time. Trump has made him into just the comical figure. All he is right now. So get into something you talked about earlier about the lockdown of the suburban females and their husbands. The Democrats are hemorrhaging males, and particularly, I detest this word, but males of color. Yeah. You know, you live in New Orleans. If I went and there were like three black guys on a corner, which I spoke with Chaplin Slot, okay, it's not the last sight. And I said, no. hey, fellas, how are things in the community of color today? It's just jive-ass motherfucker talking about it. <laughs> That's a great point. Talk normal is good advice, generally. Yeah, yeah. It's so you have these academics and these high-end people that use words and tell these guys, so you working all day changing tires in a tire shop in Kenner. But don't watch football, don't drink beer, okay? Don't do all of, don't eat hamburgers. And like, this bitch lecturing to me about. And it turns them off. And we're losing a lot of black males, not because we want to protect Social Security and Medicare. That's not the reason we're losing them. We're not losing them because we want Medicaid. We're losing them because you have these preachy-ass people like talking down to them and telling them they have to use a language that they don't even know what you're talking yeah. about. Oh, we're going to ban menthols and we're banning all this stuff. I agree with that. That's why the Mike Johnson thing is more vulnerable. It's not half of black guys, but like to some people, that's the thing about the Trump versus Johnson thing, right? Johnson seems preaching weird. Trump doesn't, well, right? And like that is why if they feel like it's liberal society that is lecturing them, that Trump does seem a little bit like, a counter to that, which is obviously he's racist and fuck him and all that. But like that's, the, I think, a reasonable perception. Right. And Trump has a little bit of that man against the system, F you, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't talk like other politicians. And they're not like their parents or their grandparents that grew up and formed that political side of doing the civil rights movement that, you know, saw the Democratic Party be eviscerated in the South and the few whites that ever stood up for them were actually Democrats. And they had this allegiance, but these younger people, the younger males in particularly, all they know is NPR lecturing to them or, or that ilk of, of communities of color, BIPOC, 
LBGTQ. I want a letter of the alphabet. Everybody, what about CA? Coonass. Coonass? Everybody's got a letter of the alphabet. I don't have one. I just solved that with the plus. I feel like with the plus, we throw everybody in. That includes Coonasses. That gets everybody. We count them all. Okay, I'll get, all right, I'll get the plus sign. Okay. <laughs> you get the plus. We're putting you in. Mike Johnson doesn't get the plus. No. All right. It's still Mardi Gras Day. Who knows what you got planned? Robert Hur, I got to get your take on this on two sides of it. First, how should the Democrats mesh this report? You were pretty aggressive going after her. And I don't know. I've been of two minds about that. It's kind of like, does does that work? You know, it's one thing when James Carville's doing it, but when Democratic politicians are doing that, does that kind of feel like sour grapes? Or do you need to go on offense and, and turn this guy into a partisan hack? How should Democrats be handling her? Let me start by asking you a question. Yeah. Who is the last Democratic special or independent counsel you ever heard of? Ken Starr, wasn't he a dumb? No, not <laughs> no. At all. no, okay. no. And that was, we're going back to 1990. <laughs> no, I still can't think of one. Yeah. It is etched in marble in Washington. There shall be no Democratic investigations. And because the Republicans say, well, if you have a Democrat, we're not going to trust you. And the Democrats say, well, in order to be trusted, we have to have a Republican. It's like, it, this is all Usarian catch 22 shit. <laughs> okay, you, you you can't even make any sense of it. So he writes his report, of course, and Merrick Garland, of course, wants to show Washington how objective he is. And so by doing that, he, thinks, yes. you know, Rehnquist's law clerk. And so we end up here. But what cracks me up about the Biden people, they send people out and they say, I was in a meeting with Biden and he looked fine to me. And well, I saw him on TV. He did not look fine to me. Oh, I'm going to believe somebody saying, well, it was a meeting of historians, and they said Biden was really engaged or what was going on. I see the guy somewhere between Cairo and Mexico City. And people see that. And you can't erase that image from people's minds. And they sent a lot of people I like and I respect and are friends of mine to say, oh, no, he's, he's just fine. And then you see the visual and you say, no, he's not. Normal beliefs. You know, somebody went in a White House meeting and said his questions were crisp or what I'm, what my lying eyes or what I'm actually watching. You brought this up. I want to circle back to her, but you brought this up. And so I wanted to play this, you know, because we've been talking about this a little bit the last few days at the Bulwark. And, you know, I, I've gotten some messages from some of our fans and listeners. They're like, your Republican is showing. You're mentioning Joe Biden's age. So I, I, I want to just play a little clip from a guy that you might have heard of that's not a former Republican who had, who had an interesting take on this subject last night. Now, Democrats will say that any criticism like this, especially of Biden, is unfair because you just don't know Biden like they know Biden. President Biden, who I've been around uh, numerous times just in this last year, is sharp, he's focused, he's bright. He is sharp, intensely probing, and detail-oriented and focused. This is a man who is sharp, who is on top of his game, who knows what's going on. He's smart, he's on his game. I was in almost every meeting with the president, and the president was in front of and on top of it all, coordinating and directing leaders who are in charge of America's national security, not to mention our allies around the globe. Did anyone film that? (laughs) 
because if you're If you're telling us behind the scenes he is sharp and full of energy and on top of it and really in control and leading, you should film that. <laughs> that would be good to show to people instead of a TikTok where he goes, chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> we see he's in charge. You see, I like cookies. Hi, James. So, it is just reality. I mean, if John Stewart's seeing it, it's just reality. So what now? Like, what do you do? How do you deal with it? It's February 13th. We've got this asshole that wants to end the democracy on the other side. What does the Biden people do now? What's happening tonight? Well, I'm going to be at a Mardi Gras party. But New York 3. Exactly right. How do you feel about that? Tom Swansea? I talk to people and they say, well, it was, it's, it's tight. It's just, and, you know, it's going to be bad weather and who knows what that's going to affect. The insiders don't know a hell of a lot more than the outsiders, to be frank with you. But I mean, I text the post, I text the DCCC, I text the sky. And it's snowing, and Dems have done really well in kind of low turnout elections recently. Yeah. We haven't lost an election since Dobbs. Yeah. But if the Dem loses this, who's a very good candidate, by the way, yeah. in a district that Biden carried, it'll set off a panic. It should set off a panic. And to say 85% of the people think Biden is too old. I can't say, well, we need to pivot to the real issues. Let's talk about, no, his age is a real issue. You can't pivot from it. You can't distract from it. You can't say, this is just Fox making this shit up. You know, it's the caravan or it's, you know, somebody going- Selfie stick. Yeah, selfie stick, bathroom, who's, you know. It's actually a legitimate issue that is on people's minds in a huge, not plurality, majority of Democrats. And you can't wish it away. It's not going anywhere. Okay, so what do you do? And JVL wrote about this yesterday in the trial. You hang a lantern on it, you get him out there more, he jokes about it, like, or what else? What else do you do? You just make fun of Trump and scare the shit out of people. That's what you're down to. You're down to, like, if you don't do this... This is the end of the Constitution. And everybody says, I have a lot of friends. Oh, I've got to have access, James. If I got, you know, I got my, you know, you hear there's some reporters, you know, I got to have access. It's going to be the United States Constitution, paren 1789-2027, paren died of access. If I say something, I'm going to get cut out. If I say something, no one's going to return my call. If I say something, I, I can't get a judge. If I say something, I can't take my client to lunch at the White House. And I have to have access. And access is killing us. Now, fortunately, I'm at a point in life, I don't give a shit. I've been to state dinners. I wouldn't go if you invited me. It's too much trouble. <laughs> I think I'm going to go and get that fucking airplane. Or do it. But that's where we are. And so the Democrats have decided that we're just going to hold hands and jump off this cliff together. And I'm like, I ain't holding your hand, dude. <laughs> you go ahead, you jump, but I'm going to stay up here. It's been remarkable to watch this, but I, I do think if the Republican wins tonight, they'll, of course, the, the journalists keep covering it. The White House keeps getting mad about it, but it's actually a real story. <laughs> it's not fake. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know that that's going to be the shakeup for you. I, I, don't think the, I think the Democrats won tonight. Like you said, they've won everything. Low turnout elections, we've had this flip, right? Right. right. It was a good analysis, my friends, with Split Ticket. Like, 
Biden is winning among people that have ever voted in a midterm or a special election by four. Trump is winning with people that only show up in general elections by 10 right now in the latest New York Times polls. I mean, that's just a total flip of how things were when you were coming up, right? Where the low, lower light propensity voters would vote Democrat, right. you know? And so if you have a snowy special election, it's probably going to favor the Dems. So uh, what Democratic pollsters and Biden people are definitely going forward is, well, first of all, James, no one has a 50% approval rating politics anymore, which I think is kind of true. That's true. And yeah. Biden gets unusually high number of somewhat disapproved. So I'm looking at the latest NBC heart poll, which is the gold standard of Democratic poll. And if you want to shut an argument down, who took the poll, you'd say heart research. And everybody said, okay, well, that's accurate. So he has a 16 strong approval and a 49 strong disapproval and a 60 disapproval. Well, you're only down to 11%. <laughs> you start out with a 49 strong. So yeah. if you, let's say you, you, you're getting one third of 11. Well, that's 3.2. Okay. What the Democrats are faced with going into this cycle is a headwind unlike anything I've ever seen. And people, I don't think they're going to change their mind. You know, if you if somebody you don't know and you say, well, you, you did the Harris Wofford race and you came back from being 48 points down. Yeah, people didn't know Harris and we introduced him, but they they already know Biden. I yeah. don't know. It's, it's a mess. It's one of my favorite old McLaughlin group clips. They're guessing who's going to be the VP and they're going around. They're all shouting out names like Harris Wofford, you know, as a young person. I was like, I've never heard of any of these people. And that ended up being Gore. <laughs> I guess if the republic comes to an end, like you're predicting – we can do a walk down memory lane from 1992 together sometime. Okay, I want to let you go soon. I just, one last thing I want to circle back to on her. The thing that worries me is, is the reaction to this right now, if you're the Democrats, you're already seeing this from normal Republicans, that like, we shouldn't follow the rules anymore either. Like, look at how Trump got away with this. If you're the Democrats now, Merrick Garland has us in this situation where he's appointing the Republican special counsel. He waited way too fucking long to indict Trump. Like, isn't the lesson going forward that all of this shit is crumbling and that the Democrats need to play by the same rules? I and mean, is that too cynical? Like, when I look at things, I just, I wanted James Carville's take on that. Garland is just somebody that craves approval from legal elites. And that's just who he is. He's one of these people that thinks, well, if I appoint a Republican, then the Republicans will like me better. That's not going to happen. So the question is, do we need to be as tough and just say what you do, just take the page out of it? The truth of the matter is the average Democratic voter would not allow that. They just wouldn't. If a candidate just got up and said the crazy shit that Trump did, it just made numbers up. Actually, they would report it, and that would shake suburban college women up. They'd go, well, you know, we just can't go out and bet. My God, you just can't go out and lie like that. That's not good for little Jeffrey. The soccer team is going to, you know, to send in the wrong signal. That's a good instinct, by the way. Yeah, but yeah. What never works is to do something to please them or think that, that you can move principal conservative Republicans. You can't. There are not that many of them. It's an infinitesimal number of people. We've already gotten a lot of them, by the way. We've, the, most, of the, most of that infinitesimal number has already moved. Yeah. There's 1% left. Yes. And that's where the old, you know, every, every other word out of the Republican mouth was, was Munich and appeasement. All right. Well, the Democratic Party is its version of Munich and appeasement. And Mary Garland is the ultimate appeasement. To this day, he thinks that 
he can get them to like him. Or if he just shows how fair-minded he is, he doesn't open investigation, or he points, oh, and no Democratic lawyers, because apparently there's not, there hadn't been a Democratic special counsel in this goddamn century. And I always thought we had some pretty good lawyers on our side. That was the stereotype. All right, James, last thing. I'm going to let you go. Okay. It's Mardi Gras day here. All right. There's, so there's no sexual frustration in New Orleans, very little, at least, on, on this no. Tuesday, February no. 13th. But I was very jealous when I got the clip texted to me. I often get James Carville clips texted to me. I'm like, this is my life goals to be, how old are you? 79? Uh, 79. 79. To be 79 right. years old on CNN with John Berman talking about, well, let's just listen to it. I think most of these people are sexually inadequate and they go for all this crazy stuff. And I don't think, it's, and it's nothing strategic about something not stupid. It's, it's just real stupidity to, to believe something like that. James, final thoughts on the sexual frustration of young Republican men and if there's anything we can do about it. I actually believe it. All right. And a lot of this is being driven by incels. You know, I said, I said, when I asked some younger friends, I said, what, what the fuck is the incel? And they said, well, I think that they involuntarily celebrate. And I said, well, does that mean like they can't get laid? Yeah. yeah. And that's coming from people who see Kelsey and they see her. She's obviously, she grew up in Berks County, Pennsylvania. I mean, I, that's, that's in, as middle America as you can get. Taylor Swift, too, man. Yeah, Taylor Swift. Kelsey went to the University of Cincinnati. Yeah. I mean, that's hardly, it's a great school, don't get me wrong. It saved that guy's life, the medical school, uh, from the bills. But that doesn't scream coastal elitism or anything like that. No. I think that they see these young people, they're fame, they have talent, they have money, they apparently are having sex. I don't know, I'm not too sure, but I suspect. Looks like it. Indications of that. And I think <laughs> these people just go into a jealous rage. I, I really do. She's 34. She looks like she's very well raised. She sits with his mother. Yeah, right. Or Biden makes great chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is hardly some kind of elite food. <laughs> <laughs> it it just cracks me. When I was young boys, like a young teenager, and I got mad at somebody in Carville, and I told my dad, "He's just goddamn stupid, Daddy." He said, "Son, growing up in Louisiana and being mad at stupidity is like getting mad at grass." And I changed my entire attitude as opposed to being frustrated by fools. I actually enjoy it. Yeah. My wife would say, come down, I said, James, he loves to hang out with these fools. And I do because I find him massively entertaining. I, I really do. And I find smart people sometimes to be almost boring. But like, tell me about this Taylor Swift and how's this going to work out? He said, you don't understand. It's yeah. Into overtime. Okay, how many times? What's the odds of that happening? All right, and then they block an extra point. Come on, that's all rigged. It's Roger Goodell, as you know, people yeah. in a base. Bill Crystal, Lloyd Austin, everybody's so, doing yeah, it. Yeah, of course, everybody's doing it. Yes. And <laughs> as opposed to like, are you fucking crazy? Yeah, tell me more. I want to know. Yeah, let's pick on this. I want to hear where you're going with this theory. All right, James. Well, hopefully your enjoyment doesn't lead to the end of our republic. I want to bring you back. Hopefully we can find some ways to reach these fools. I think we okay. can reach the fools. I think that's doable. 
We're going to try. Okay. That is going to be our challenge for the next nine months. We got to win right, over we, some of the fools. And we'll get our herb site launch and a Moscow's dinner and all of the great things we all do. All right, baby. All Happy right, carnival. Okay. Thank you so Let's much. Go. You know, all right, guys. That was the great James Carville, always giving you the no bullshit takes. We'll be back here tomorrow. Look forward to seeing you then. The Bulwark Podcast is produced by Katie Cooper with audio engineering and editing by Jason Brown.